This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Yeah, there's there's probably still a contingent of Bond fans over there that want to kill me. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developer's podcast. Your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the GameDevAdvice.com website. I have a great show for you today, so let's kick things off with episode 003. Today's guest, Raymond Benson. Raymond is a veteran of the industry, having worked as a writer and designer for games like The Ultima Series, A View to Kill, Stephen King's The Mist, Dark Seed 2, and many others. He's a prolific author with 40 published titles, best known for being the official author of the James Bond novels in the late 90s and early 2000s. Note, he's the first American to have done this. Games like Splinter Cell, Metal Gear Solid, and Hitman are some of the novelizations he's written, along with original works like the Black Stiletto fictional series. He's also a longtime musician and instructor at the College of DuPage outside of Chicago. Warning, there's a little bit of noise from the keyboard early in the interview, but it goes away. Okay, let's talk with Raymond. Hello, I've got Raymond Benson here, who I've known um, since, I don't know, the early, mid-90s. Fascinating story with his background about getting into the video game industry, designing games, working on James Bond, and then doing novelizations of game books. Okay, Raymond, um, number one, like, how did you get started in the video game industry? Talk me through. Okay, well, first of all, thanks, John, for having me on. Good Good to talk to you here. Um, my entry into the game business was very unorthodox and it was, you know, over 30 years ago. So it, it, it was a lot different then (laughs) (laughs) it was like, you know, the dark ages. Um, I was living in New York city and, uh, in the early eighties, I was, uh, had a day job, but I was also working on a book. Uh, about the history of James Bond, and that was that ended up being the James Bond Bedside Companion, which right. was published in 1984. Mm-hmm. But during those years in New York, uh, I had friends uh, who I played Dungeons and Dragons with. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> and, uh, very common. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd always been interested in games. You know, I, as a kid, I loved board games and such. Uh, and then, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was cool. And then in 1983, the James Bond role-playing game came out. Mm. And uh, that, that was like Dungeons and Dragons only in the James Bond universe uh, by Victory Games. And I got to know the, the, the designers, uh, Chris Klug and uh, Robert Kern. And, uh, as t- you know, once, once my book started, you know, getting noted, you know, people knew it was coming out. Uh, they asked me, would I be interested in 
writing an adventure module for the role-playing game. I mm -hmm. said, sure, I'd love to do that. And that was happening around the time uh, that the book did come out, which is sort of, uh, it was around October uh, of 84. Okay. And uh, so I'd started working on the role-playing game, and I had a literary, literary agent at the time. And he called me up uh, around the same time the book came out, and he said, hey, uh, you told me that you, you, like the, you like playing games, right? I went, yeah. And he says, well, I've got hmm. this uh, company called AngelSoft that's outside of New York in White Plains, and they have a license to do James Bond games uh, for uh, you know, text adventures like mm -hmm. uh, like infocom uh, oh, right. what they were doing you know zork right right uh, th those those types of games. and i had i had a little experience playing zork and those text adventures with, from a friend of mine who had a, had a mac and he was playing those games and i got mm -hmm. it you know i got interested in them i thought they were very cool games i love the infocom games right um, and i said Plus. sure i'd love to do that so by the end of 1984 um, I got hired actually to, you know, write and design uh, two James Bond text adventure games and also a Stephen King adaptation called The Mist. Hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, I wasn't the programmer or anything. I was just the writer. You know, I was sort of the right. screenplay guy. If you, mm -hmm. if you want to use an analogy uh, for uh, movies, I was the screenplay, the screenwriter. Right. And, and you know, they didn't really call it call us designers then. Uh, it was it was me, a producer, two programmers, and it's all text, so there was no artists. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, kept the art budget down. <laughs> so that was it. And I, you know, I came up with the plot. You know, for the Stephen King's The Mist, you know, you base it on the the novella, but you have to change it uh, mm -hmm. enough to make it, you know, puzzles and stuff that that people who's read the story won't expect. And the right. same thing with the Bond, you know, the first one was A View to a Kill, which was the movie that was coming out in 1985. So that's why they had a license for that. But the mm. second one was Goldfinger because they wanted to do a classic one. Right, yeah, totally classic. So yeah. all through 1985, that's what I was doing. And, okay. um, Creating Who published those? Was it Mindscape? Mindscape. That's right. Yeah, um, they published that. them. AngelSoft developed them, and Mindscape published them. So three, uh, the, uh, two of them came out at the very end of '85, and then Goldfinger came out in '86. And and my role-playing game adventure, which was called "You Only Live Twice," two back of beyond, <laughs> <laughs> that came out in '86 uh, as well. Okay. So so. In, in the space of, you know, a, a couple of years, I had three computer games and one role-playing game under my belt. Wow. Uh, and, you know, this was, you got to remember in that, in that time, you know, in 1984, 85, not a lot of people had PCs. Uh, no. I bought, you know, I bought my Apple IIc uh, when I got the job. <laughs> yeah, so, like oh, I need a computer. Know, I, I didn't even it. have one, right. so uh, that I was. Yeah. I felt like I was in on the ground floor of, of the whole gaming world, you know, business. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is right after that, I, uh, you know, my job was over. It was finished, mm -hmm. and I didn't, I didn't pursue anything else in that field for a couple more years. Okay. Um, I was doing some other things in New York, and I got married, uh, had a kid. No, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life events, yeah, big yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And actually, in 1990, uh, we left New York and moved to Austin, Texas, and that's where the second chapter uh, takes place, because in Austin, Texas is where Origin Systems was made. Yeah, no, they were, they were huge at, the, at their time. I mean, I, I remember they were like couple hundred right. people at their peak, which back then was like unfounded. I mean, it was yeah, unheard yeah. Of. Origin was one of the biggies uh, at the time. Right. And I think that's why, too, there's such a, a good game development community in, in Austin because Origins sprouted or Origin sprouted all of these different um, people who started their own companies after Origin. Right. So all these companies popped up with uh, ex Origin people. Right. Uh, when I got to when I got to Austin, I that wasn't on my radar. I was 
I was, I had this wild idea that I would, I would go to court reporting school and <laughs> learn to be a court really? reporter. And, and that way I would get ideas to write mystery novels. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, right, right. It's but, uh, you know, I, I took about three months worth of uh, court reporting school and uh, actually I was pretty good at it, but mm-hmm. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. <laughs> and, you know, my wife said, you know, oh gosh, if you really hate it that much, you should just not do it. Let's try something else, you know, because I was miserable. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it seemed like around the same time that I decided to leave the school, I saw an ad in the in the sort of undergrad the, the the alternative newspaper in Austin, uh, saying writers wanted for computer games. Hmm. And I went, hmm, that sounds interesting. So yeah. I called up and got an appointment. It turned out to be Origin. Ah. And I went and interviewed with uh, a guy named Warren Spector, who is still in the business. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I know, is, I know, uh, I know of Warren. Yes, yeah, he's a giant in the business. You know, mm-hmm. of course, you know, Origin at the time, the head honcho there was Richard Garriott. Right, Richard Garriott, uh, known to his fans as Lord British. Right, right. And I've got to say, you know, of all the people that I've known in the computer gaming industry, Richard Garriott is the one genius <laughs> that I knew. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, that's good and, to hear. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah, because you you hear a lot about them and you hear a lot of stories and there's folklore and what's true and what's not and is this what's the story with this guy? So yeah, yeah that, well he he hear. was a really smart guy. You know, he was younger than me. Um, hmm. He started Origin. You know, at, when he was a teenager, he came up with the first Ultima game uh, right. on his own, and uh, you know started the, uh, made a <laughs> made a million dollars and then. His entire family started working for him. <laughs> <laughs> a little nepotism. There you go. Right. Okay. Um, oh, sorry, I was getting a little keyboard clicks here. Um, okay, so then you worked on uh, the Ultima 7. and um, Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, I was one of the older guys. Uh, I, was, I was around 35 when I got <laughs> hired. And, you know, just about everybody there was younger than me, you know, in their 20s. Right. Uh, early 20s or 20s, you know, just a few of us were in our 30s and, you know, very, you know, just, you know, a handful of people were in their 40s. Um, right. You know, Richard was, I think, five years younger than me. Hmm. But I guess he he saw it in me, I hope, uh, you know, a potential that I knew what I was doing because I had that experience doing those right. other games. Yeah, you chipped three games, so yeah. And uh, I'd had a book published and all this, so he he asked me to be the head writer on Ultima Seven, the Black Gate. Wow, very cool. And so that you know that was my I guess my credit. I was uh, my credit was story direction, uh, writing, and uh, uh, musician. I, I see in um, in screenplay. I think screenplay. screenplay. Okay, you have a musician credit though too, no? Yeah, or, I do. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there was other people doing music, but I did one song, one song, the love theme. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is used in it. So cool. yeah, and I had four other writers uh, under me. You know that mm-hmm. I, I sort of led a, a writers group. You know the ultimate. I don't know if you've played Ultimate Seven. It's a mm-hmm. huge virtual world with many, many characters, and each character had to have a conversation. You know, a dialogue that you could have with that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we had five writers writing these conversations, uh, and it's a huge world. There's different towns. And so, you know, one writer might have a subplot that takes place in that town. And I did mm-hmm. the sort of the overall plot, uh, Richard right. actually, you know, Richard came up, he, he had the initial premise of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, he came up with the, the villain called, uh, the guardian, and okay. uh, this uh, concept of the fellowship, which is in Britannia, that uh, is uh, kind of like it's kind of like Scientology, really. <laughs> <laughs> like a guild or something, yeah. or yes, yeah, Scientology. Yeah, yeah. Only they were a villainous organization, you know. So, ah, uh, okay. so that was what was given to me, you know. Have the guardian, have the fellowship, and so I came up, you know, kind of kind of with a mystery, a mystery plot, mm-hmm. um, uh, almost. You know, I will say it's it's it was kind of a James Bond formula where where you as the avatar have to infiltrate uh, the bad guy's lair, you know, seek mm-hmm. him down into his secret lair and 
destroy him, you know, find him. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So Ultima seven, you know, that was, that was quite an undertaking. Um, I'd never done it. I how, like how big I was, yeah, right. No, I mean, heck if there were four other writers, I'm like, how, how big was that team? You oh, know, it was huge. Know. There must yeah. have been 30 people uh, around that, wow. 30, 30 or 40 people, you know, several yeah. programmers, lots of artists, mm-hmm. uh, sound people, music people, you know, and must yeah. have had two or three producers. Uh, that's, and, that's a big team for 1992. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we started it in 1991. So, mm-hmm. uh, and boy, the crunch, the crunch mode was in, was, uh, yes, well, crunch mode. we were in, we were in crunch mode for six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy! Yikes! <clears throat> well, as a, you know, and then as a result of that, um, I started getting other offers from other companies. Um, mm-hmm. The game was a big hit, got yeah. good reviews, and you know the plot, the story was mentioned. I got mentioned, and uh, right. it's not you know it's not to take away from everybody else that worked on the game. I mean, everybody contributed a great deal to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did start getting an offers, and one was from Microprose and in uh, Hunt, yeah. Hunt Valley, Maryland. Yeah, I, I love their simulations. Uh, for people that don't know, they were very, very much in like military and driving sims. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was an F one game I used to play. The like, yeah, Civilization was one of their and Civilization, games. obviously too. Uh, yeah, and that was that was made by Sid Meier, who I guess I could say he's a genius too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sid, Sid Meier yeah. was pretty great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I went up to, I said, what the heck, you know, they were offering more money. Uh, mm-hmm. So I went up and interviewed and I got the job. And this time I would be a full-fledged designer rather than a writer. So mm-hmm. I moved my family cross country from Austin, Texas to, uh, you know, the Baltimore area. We lived in Towson. Right. And I worked for Microprose and uh, wow. they had a new division that were was doing what they called graphic adventures. And these were... You know, if, if you took the text adventures of the 80s and then put graphics on them, right. that's what they were. You know, so you played a little guy that walked around and, you know, was basically in a story, uh, uh, almost, you know, an interactive movie, so to speak. Right. You, saw, you solve puzzles and it tells a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exactly what I like to do. Yeah. So the game I did there was called Return of the Phantom which was a, a sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. And, uh, you know, again, we had a big team. We had great artists. We had good programmers. Uh, but I did, you know, I was, I, I was the writer-designer for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Grusin, who is still in the business, was the uh, producer. And he mm-hmm. was a great guy, too. Then, uh, well, Microprose had some problems, and uh financial problems and they had to start laying off you know a lot of people (laughs) yeah and our whole division got laid off so and that included me (laughs) yeah i've been through that we've been through that i've been through that solo and and with you at viacom so yeah well and that's one thing i want to say about this business is that it is very volatile Uh, yeah and for you know consider that just a a cautionary aside for anybody who wants to get into the business you know Mm -hmm. be prepared to not be in one place for the rest of your life (laughs) right so you were laid off from microprose and then and that's how you made uh to viacom new media then yeah but there was a little interim where i did a freelance job for a company called cyber dreams they were based Hmm. in california and they had done a game called dark seed which was uh based on the artwork of hr giger Oh, okay. You know, the fantasy horror artist yeah, who uh, right, helped design right. the alien. Alien, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a- <laughs> well, uh, that game was very successful, and they wanted to do a sequel. And mm-hmm. uh, David Mullick, who is also still in the business, uh, he hmm. found out about me, I guess, uh, through a headhunter or something. I really can't remember. But he called me and said, how would you like to design and write Dark Seed 2? And hmm. I went, yes, you know, I'm out of a job. Let's do it. Right. So for about three months there, uh, between Microprose and Viacom, I wrote and designed the entire script for Dark Seed 2. And then they basically took it and ran with it. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I pretty much had nothing more to do with it until it came out two years okay. later. 
<laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, that's why it came out after your, your Viacom titles. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. It took them two years to uh, create the game, but they basically used everything I wrote and design. you know. Um, so cool. it was very well managed as far as that, um, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So uh, a headhunter got me in touch with Viacom New Media, and uh, I started there uh, at the beginning of November 93. And uh, immediately got put on uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of Orfeo's Curse. Right. Yeah, you remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Nickelodeon, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was very much in the, the world of Beavis and Butthead games, but uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Right. Yeah, for, for listeners who aren't aware, Viacom New Media uh, uh, bought a small company called... Uh, uh, ICOM, what was it? ICOM Simulations? Uh, ICOM Simulations, and ICOM yeah. stood for International Conglomeration of Megalomaniacs. <laughs> but when you said ICOM Simulations, it sounded much more uh, legit and authentic. Right, right. And businessly, yeah. uh, that's a word, but yeah, it was, uh, and ICOM was bought by Viacom because of somebody was on the board at Viacom that had connections to ICOM. And then, yeah, it, right. Uh, well, it had, it had already become Viacom New Media when I was hired. But mm-hmm. they were still based in uh, Wheeling, Wheeling, Illinois. Right. Yeah, that brown building. Yeah. I remember yeah. yeah. So I I moved my family cross country again. <laughs> Here we go, Buffalo uh, Grove. Yeah. That, that's really. three three uh, cross country moves in in four years, mm-hmm. uh, and started working for Viacom. And while we were working on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Over the next year, we moved to that big Buffalo Grove uh, complex. Right. It was a beautiful building, basketball yeah. courts, arcade, yeah. lunchroom. Yeah, no, it was not. It was nice yeah. while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, while it lasted, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Viacom, of course, you know, they wanted us to do games that were based on their properties. You know, Paramount movies, mm-hmm. uh, Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon, MTV TV shows, MTV mm-hmm. things like that. So, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a Nickelodeon TV show. So yeah, I was. I kind of. It was. I was the head writer on that and uh, right. got and this then, uh, screenplay credit. You know, and mm-hmm. I also did a song for that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Some more music credit. And then um, uh, Indian in the Cupboard uh, right. followed that, that, right? That was next. That was a Paramount movie. So right. It was more based on, I guess, uh, the movie than the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we made a, a nice little children's game out of it with lots of little Native American activities and games and things like mm-hmm. that and i was the designer writer for that yeah and that was pc that's back when games were on pcs and came in boxes and, and i think and that was the first uh windows 95 game that yeah uh, i did uh because uh are you afraid of the dark was still dos mm-hmm. if i remember correctly do you yeah yeah that, that remembers that sounds about right because i remember um we made a big deal about being Windows 95. Um, I remember going to a launch party for DirectX 1 at Microsoft that had Guar play, and it was at Halloween, and everyone that was uh, on Windows 95 and, and doing DirectX were showing off their games, uh, and we were in a booth in this giant underground garage, and Guar was there, and um, it was kind of surreal. But yeah, it was a big deal to make that push to Windows 95 versus DOS because that's how games always were and you type in your command and start the game and everything and now it was you know running through Windows 95 yeah uh, and DirectX and all that kind of stuff and I guess you know that really started the uh, the graphics explosion uh, with games mm-hmm. uh, I mean you, you started getting graphics in the in the early 90s uh, and then but, but by the mid 90s and you know 96 97 98 graphics really improved uh Mm -hmm. uh, they get you got more cinematic with games right yeah Yeah, it it was going more 3d and um yeah you could do a lot more just in terms of software packages and 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 the platforms increased i mean you started getting actual video games rather than computer games you know you had the Mm -hmm. uh you know nintendo and the segas and right uh, you know cartridge games things like that Uh, yeah and so you had to, you know, when you when you were doing a game, you had to think about, okay, this one's the PC version, and this is going to be the, 
the con you know the the nintendo version or whatever it is <laughs> you mm-hmm. had to like pare yeah. it down a little bit and things right like yeah to- i yeah i i remember we worked on beefs and butted on console and they were different uh it was odd too because they were different games on different platforms so like one developer developed the super nintendo another one developed the genesis which was radical entertainment that later became morphed i believe into ea vancouver and um the game gear version was another developer um so there were sometimes different experiences on different platforms versus other games that they tried to water down a little more and just make it pretty much the same experience across all the different platforms like zoop uh the puzzle game i, mm-hmm. I remember yeah. that that was on like nine thousand platforms we launched on it was uh it was a crazy undertaking there but um yeah, it was different times. So things were changing. There yeah, were, and, and were when, powerful game consoles coming out. Yeah, when Indian and the Cupboard came out, Dark Seed Two finally came out. <laughs> right. So I, I had a game from Viacom and a game from another company come out at the same time. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was a little weird, but right. uh, if I if I had to look at all of my games that I did, I would I would point to Dark Seed Two as my favorite. Really? Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. It, it just had a really I think it had a really good story and working with, you know, HR Geeker and and uh, mm-hmm. that was just uh it was a nice experience. Uh yeah. I think I wrote a, a very you know, I think I was very influenced by Twin Peaks at the time. So it had like, you know, an alternate mm-hmm. alternate universes and things like that. Right. The original Twin Peaks. Yeah, right? the original Twin yes. Peaks. Yes, I, I remember Running home to watch that on TV at night after, after work, <laughs> or setting a VCR to, to date myself. Yeah, um, I was got out of the blue in late '95. Uh, mm-hmm. Out of the blue, the Ian Fleming estate contacted me. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we had stayed in touch since my book came out in the in 1984 about James Bond. Right, and uh, we'd stayed in touch, and they asked me out of the blue, um, "How would I like to write?" Official James Bond novels. <laughs> whoa, like, whoa! Can't say no to that. <laughs> um, you know, after Ian Fleming died, uh, his estate would periodically hire new authors to write new books. Mm-hmm. And Kingsley Amos was the first one, and then John Gardner. And John Gardner had done it for many, many years, and he had decided not to. He, he wanted to quit, mm-hmm. and so. They asked me, uh, so wow. I, I, you know, I had to kind of audition, uh, right. Uh, and how plot. did that work? Yeah. I had to write a plot outline on spec mm-hmm. and that had to be approved not only by the Fleming estate, but by the British publisher and the American publisher. Mm. And once that was green lit, I had to write the first four chapters on spec and same approval process. And once that was done, then I got the job and it was announced. I was the new Ian Fleming. <laughs> The first wow. American, the first American Ian. Right, that had to be a little controversial, right? Like, it was. It was very controversial. Some feathers over overseas. Yeah, there. Brits probably weren't happy. It did. Uh, yeah, there's there's probably still a contingent of Bond fans over there that want to kill me. <laughs> but I stayed at Viacom the entire year that I was writing the first novel, mm-hmm. uh, and because I didn't know how it was going to go, you know what? If yeah, it, uh, we're what doing stuff on spec. Yeah, yeah. Who, who knows, right? So uh, it got to be uh, late '96. I turned in the novel. It was accepted. It was going to be published in the spring, late spring of '97. And of course, you know what was going on by the time of uh, yeah. late spring '97, and that was that Viacom New Media was a, was you know on its way out the door. <laughs> yeah, there was that weird like, do we merge with Virgin Interactive? And I was working on a Dilbert pitch, and we had Star Wars pitches going, and waiting to see if it was going to happen. And yeah, it was um, it was an awkward time. Um, yeah. And there was and then, this talk of, you know, changing the name, you know, going independent and changing the name to Rabbit, right. Rabbit Entertainment. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ah, that's, uh, that's kind of not the best timing probably for that. But yeah. all through all through that year uh, that I was writing the novel, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I wasn't really on a project that had been greenlit at Viacom. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was in developing pitch mode. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember working on for several months a pitch for a game called Killers, 
I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't remember. It was that. a it was a serial killer FBI profiling serial killer game. Huh. Uh, you know, at the, around that time, you know, at that time, you know, Silence of the Lambs was, uh, you know, a big movie in the uh, early nineties and mm-hmm. serial killers were kind of in the news and kind of a big right. deal. And I got to know, uh, John Douglas, the, the guy that's behind Mindhunter, uh, the Netflix show. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He was the, he was the FBI pro, one of the, one of the FBI guys that invented profiling. You could say, I mean, wow quote unquote invented. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, he wrote several, he and another guy, uh, a, a co-writer wrote several books in the nineties about his profiling days. So uh-huh. he would, you know, we approached him to be the consultant on the game and, uh, we did a big pitch in New York and, uh, they, I think they were just afraid of it. You know, they, yeah, this, was the, right. this was the MTV Nickelodeon game about serial kill, you know hunting serial killers right but i think i think it would have been a huge hit uh, yeah. we had first, club we had club dead though the alternative murder remember that game yeah, club dead? i remember yeah. club dead yeah but that was yeah. more pop arty this one yeah. was, this one was pretty serious <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty it was about you know you serial know, killer yeah so. you had to really uh investigate and find you know look at forensic evidence and stuff like it. It, it. it could be very, it was very adults only. So I, I remember working on that. And I remember working on a sort of a Pictionary type game that was called Rembrandt. Uh, hmm. And we were sort of in the middle of that when the layoff started. You know? Right. Well, there was, there was a snow crash game in development too, but that was yeah. a different game. Yeah. Did that yeah. ever get done? No, no, that never shipped. And um, what's his name? Neil, uh, the writer. Uh, on a blank, Neil Stevenson. No, Stevenson. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember he came by the studio, and yeah, they were trying to develop the tech. There was tech challenges, and um, it was going to be kind of like a first-person type perspective. And um, yeah, there was there was a whole team working on that, but um, fortunately, that that never made it out. Okay, quick question break. What are your thoughts so far? Do you have a topic idea, a question to ask, or a guest suggestion? Let me know at 224-484-7733 or on the gamedevadvice.com website. Well, fortunately for me, you know, my my Bond novel came out Mm -hmm. and it was well received. And then I part of my job was to novelize the current movies that weren't based on books. And at that time, Pierce Brosnan was Bond. And right. his second movie was in production. That was Tomorrow Never Dies. So mm. uh, they wanted me to write the novelization for Tomorrow Never Dies. And right. so I, I let it be known at Viacom. I said, if you're going to be doing layoffs, you know, put me in the first wave. It's okay. Right. And, and they did. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, that was it. You know, yeah. I, I, I left the gaming industry and became a full-time novelist. And for the next seven years, I wrote James Bond books. Mm-hmm. And when that contract ended uh, in 2000, at the end of 2002, uh, I just, you know, stayed freelance and wrote mm-hmm. my own original novels. Right. I was on the radar of publishers to do what we call tie-in books. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there were a lot of tie-in novels for video games. Yeah, as well as TV shows and movies, but I got tapped uh, in 2004 to do a novel based on Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. You know, the Splinter Cell games were uh, very popular. Yeah, I can't. They were huge back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember how many were out when I was hired. I think only one or two were were already out. Yeah, but they were big at the time. Yeah, they kind of changed everything. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So I wrote the first two books in that series. Actually, I had to use a pseudonym, David Michaels, because they, <laughs> the, pub, the publisher wanted to do a whole bunch of Tom Clancy tie-ins, and uh-huh. they wanted an in-house pseudonym for all of the books, no uh, matter no matter right. who wrote them. Right, right, right. Yeah. So Dusty Rhodes what was it? Is that the yeah, name? exactly. Uh, so I did two, two of the, the, the first two Splinter Cell books. And then, then mm-hmm. a, another David Michaels came aboard and then another David <laughs> Michaels came aboard. 
a little later i did metal gear solid books i did two of those what was that like did you have to go to japan or did you i did not have to go to japan uh okay. apparently uh kojima um mm-hmm. the head honcho there uh he he liked my bond books because they were published in uh, japanese okay at least that's what i heard and so i was on the short list to uh, write the books and uh, i made a pitch or had to write a chapter or something and send it in. I really can't remember. It's so long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he picked me. So uh, now the, the Splinter Cell books were original stories set in the same universe with the Sam Fisher character. Right. Uh, the Metal Gear Solid books, I did one and two, they were strict adaptations of the games. Oh, so I, okay. had, I had to follow the storylines of those two games. Yeah. Uh, oh, th- that's cool for somebody that's like a fan to then have like another medium to access and like, you know, read the book and kind of get more, more depth and more flavor into the experience. of. Playing yeah. Well that, yeah, that's the point is to give it yeah. to, to, you know, flesh out some scenes. Uh, I think I was allowed to, uh, you know, create what, you know, one cool scene that wasn't mm-hmm. in the game. This one. And then, okay. you know, that, that led to some other ones. I did, there was a game that came out in 2011 called Homefront. And this was created by John mm. Milius. John Milius was a filmmaker and screenwriter. He co-wrote Apocalypse Now. Uh, yeah, he wrote, a little movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he teamed up with a, 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 a game company in California. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about it because I, I know there's some technical challenges or some stuff that was going on with it. Um, yeah, THQ. That's what it was. THQ. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, I was hired to write the novel based on the game. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it was an original novel. And we decided to make it a prequel to the game. You know, okay. The, the, because in that game, it's it's about how North Korea takes over the United States. <laughs> ah, yeah. So yeah. the game starts with it already happened. And so okay. my book had this basically illustrate how it happened you know uh like how did we get here yeah yeah and then what about hitman i mean uh yeah then came hitman Hitman. after that one uh i got hired to write i wasn't the first hitman writer there was one book i think before me then Mm -hmm. uh then uh i did hitman damnation 2012 Mm -hmm. uh and the more recent the most recent one i did was one for dying light which is a zombie zombie game Hmm. Uh, and I did uh, Dying Light Nightmare Row, which again is a prequel to the uh, the first game, Dying Light. Okay. Once I left Viacom, the next ten years, the technical, you know, complexity, yeah. right, and production values, and all just this kind went, of crazy. you know, right. through the roof. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I I didn't play games as much as I did. Uh, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, once mm-hmm. I became a writer, I just, I guess you could say I lost interest in trying to play games because I was mm-hmm. too busy writing books. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You, you, know? you had that and that was your craft and you wanted to yeah. be, you know, the best at that. So uh, you focused on that. And no, I, I think it's cool that there was this other kind of career you carved out um, writing and then writing with, you know, uh, for video game novelizations and having that um, that connection still back to the industry and, and doing cool stuff um, in the industry, but, you know, purely from a writing standpoint, which mm-hmm. is, it's kind of nice, I, right? You know? Yeah. And I would still do that. You know, if another game uh, company came and wants, wanted me to write a book based okay. on the game, I'd be interested, you know, depending on the game. All right. Epic. You hear that? And um, <laughs> yeah, Activision, Call of Duty. Uh, yeah. All those things. Right. But, you know, when I look back at the, the gaming career <laughs> i mean mm-hmm. my, my whole career i started off in theater uh i, I was a theater major and uh, mm-hmm. i spent the first 10 years of my life you know in new york directing off off broadway and you know one off Broadway okay. show and doing music and th- stuff like that and i sort of fell into the game industry and so then my career t- kind of took a sharp left turn into the gaming industry right and i kind of walked away you know i had kind of kept my toe in theater a little bit but mm-hmm. uh, eventually i kind of left that behind then I had right. the gaming 10 years, 12 mm-hmm. years, and then became a novelist. So, right, you right. know, my career, I call it the long and winding road. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, different chapters, right? So yeah, yeah exactly, through, exactly. But, you know, I like to say, well, I was back in the uh, the the old days of the games when games <laughs> were just words on a screen. You know, you are in a forest and you see a sword on the ground and a path to the right. What do you do? Pick up the sword. You know, <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, Icom Simulations back before the Viacom acquisition, I wasn't there involved at that point, but they did a lot of those type of games you know was it like deja vu mm -hmm. i still love the infocom games i think you know zork and its mm -hmm. various incarnations and uh that was quite a company i thought um, yeah i thought they were very clever and uh you had to be you know they were tough they were tough games uh you mm -hmm. could you know spend a month or two playing one of those games trying to figure right. them out and they were addictive and they appealed mm -hmm. to me because they were more like interactive novels on a computer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, th those are still classics. Like like people uh, go back, you know, look on YouTube and Google, you know, mm -hmm. those, uh, those old games because yeah, there's that's the roots, especially for the more narrative, you know, not console type stuff, but the more story driven type of things. Um, mm -hmm. Game, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that that's some of the early stuff. You know, is there anything you wish you had known, kind of when you started in the game industry? Well, I'm, I learned how to do coding, you know, the mm -hmm. user use code, I guess is what they called it. it. It wasn't really programming, but it was the sort of like if else statements, uh, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, and mm -hmm. that's kind of how you wrote your scripts. You mm -hmm. would, yeah, and uh, that's how the dialogue was done, especially branching with, yeah, like with, with yeah. branching and things like that. So I learned how to do that, but I guess, you know, I guess, it would have been nice to have learned a little rudimentary programming, mm -hmm. um, how to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And nowadays, you know, there's free engines out there and you can download unity and, and, and learn how to do stuff, you know, coding and C sharp and all that kind of stuff. So the barrier of entry is, is, uh, is low. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, all it takes is passion and interest and, watching videos and but it's, it seemed like the the big groundbreaking games though were always new engines you know that they, mm -hmm. they they came up with a new way to do something yeah um i mean if you look at the evolution of the ultima games you know from between ultima one and you know ultima online which was mm -hmm. you know number 10 i think i don't know i can't remember yeah um, I mean, the, the leap forward between Ultima 5 and Ultima 6 was huge. And then the, mm -hmm. the leap forward to 7 was really huge. That was like, you know, groundbreaking. So, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, that's Richard Garriott and his programmers. They were, they were, they were smart guys. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty amazing to see that, you know, a franchise last that long and go online and do all that. Because that was, that was a big deal, too, at the time when Ultima yeah. Online came out. And that was pre- you know, World of Warcraft and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, uh, mm -hmm. and, and there are a lot of critics too uh, that were, you know, there's always a lot of snide and, and snarkiness and stuff like that. But yeah, it was pretty revolutionary at the time to, to put that universe online. Right. Yeah. And of course, Origin was eventually bought by Electronic Arts. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, how many how many companies have been yeah. around? EA does buy a lot of good ones. Yeah, they, they don't yeah. always last. But yeah, Bullfrog, you know, and uh, Origins, Origin, stuff like that. Yeah. What are you curious about right now? Like, what are you doing? What um, what kind of stuff you, excites you? What kind of projects are you working on? Well, I, I had two novels come out within the last year. Uh, they're original novels. Uh, hmm. The Secrets on Chicory Lane came out uh, October 2017. Uh, and that's a standalone mystery um, about uh, with a coming of age story, really. Mm -hmm. uh, then I had one in May of this year called "In the Hush of the Night." It's an FBI procedural thriller with a. It takes place in Chicago mm -hmm. uh, about human trafficking. It's a human trafficking case. Mm -hmm. I have another novel that I have completed and has been submitted uh, called "Blues in the Dark," which uh, is a mystery and a tale of old Hollywood. Uh, it takes place in the both in the present and in the 1940s, and uh, that's where I'm at right now. I'm sort of between projects. I'm I'm just now starting to research. What about? Um, let me ask, let me ask yeah, you this. Go ahead. You're, still, you're still in the you're still in the business, yeah. right? Are mm -hmm. there still the uh, you know when you were you mentioned Telltale? 
and there was a big controversy about you know the the crunch mode and people working overtime and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Is that still part of the culture? It is getting better, and and it it is in some places, and it, it kind of depends what the studio is and, and kind of what what the the culture is there. Um, I'm at Level X now. We we do these uh, medical uh, medical games that are actually fun and engaging for physicians and very challenging and technically accurate and compelling and interesting. And, and that's part of the, like our cultures, um, we work schedules, we try and plan better. We, we, we move things around and, and we try and, um, uh, we eliminate crunch. And, and I, I know of other studios that eliminated too, like iron galaxy also here in Chicago. Um, uh, unfortunately, Sometimes it, it still is part of the culture, and I think it's getting better. I, I think production techniques are getting better, um, outsourcing and, and things like that. Um, it just kind of depends. I, I would bet, you know, when you're still working on the AAAs and there's hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, which is just crazy when you think about it for development costs and, and then another hundreds of millions for advertising and, and marketing that it's still happening. Um, the industry I think is getting better about it because I, I, I've had more than my share of crunches. And, um, that was, uh, part of the appeal of, of where I'm at now is we know it's not good for you. We know you have, there's health consequences of it and, um, it's gotten better because yeah, it, it, it was, it, it was just used to be just foregone conclusion that that's what you did and you would sleep, you know, on the floor in your office or on an exactly. air mattress. <laughs> uh, I you can know. remember, I can remember origin just smelling like a, a boy's locker room, you know, yeah. down the yeah. halls. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It was just people yeah, sleep I mean, at sleeping bags and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. offices and stuff and just people basically living there. Yeah. Yeah. There would be, you know, air mattresses and pillows and people just passed out. And, um, yeah, it's, it was kind of the fog of war because you would start getting, and that, uh, you know, that was, dumb. that was particularly hard on me because I was older than everybody else and I had a family. You know, so mm-hmm. old, older-ish and crunching, it makes it even worse when there's studies, you know, why people get out of the industry. And that's one of the reasons people get out. Two other quick things while I'm thinking of, what's a funny or odd story that you have from working in the industry? I'm not sure how funny it is, but uh, I could certainly talk about some of the more interesting things. And, mm-hmm. and you know, working for Viacom, one of the cool perks was uh, getting to go to, say, uh, you know, Universal Studios in Florida to the uh, to the actual Nickelodeon studio, hmm, right. uh, and and you know going on the set and stuff and and yeah. when we did Indian to the Cupboard, we flew to L.A. and uh, went to the actual set of Indian mm-hmm. in the Cupboard, walked around on it. Uh, cool. That was awesome. You know, for all yeah. you're afraid of the dark, we got to actually use the actors from the show in video clips that were in the game, and so you know we. Hmm wrote scripts for them and right that that was you know that was all memorable i remember uh kathy tutelian and i uh going uh, to kathy. new york to she mm-hmm. was a, a a great artist at viacom I yeah worked with her on fantastic artist uh both of the games uh, that i did there we went to new york to uh research native americans the iroquois uh for indian in the cupboard hmm. and uh we went through the uh, uh, museum of natural history and another museum can't remember right. now, a Native American museum. And then, you know, we went to Phoenix, Arizona to uh, shoot actors uh, to uh, rotoscope Native mm-hmm. American actors so that mm-hmm. they would appear, you know, or, or get their, actually, no, get their voices is what we did. Okay. And that was fun. You know, it was like casting, it, it was like doing theater again. So I felt like I was, you know, back in theater and directing mm-hmm. plays again. <laughs> so yeah. I, I really, really liked that part, that aspect. I worked on Beavis and Budget stuff for a while, and um, we had multiple games coming out with a line called Cheap Clicks. It was the $20 uh, PC game, and we need lines from Mike Judge. And um, at the time, uh, it was the best arrangement he had with Viacom MTV, and he had left and started this little show called King of the Hill. And he was out you know, in the L.A. area, and I had to fly out there, and um, we recorded him somewhere in uh, Santa Monica. Yeah, it was Santa Monica Recording Studio. Really nice guy. Somebody had double booked a session, and there were people from Japan that wanted to do the session at the same time. So I, I let him do that first. And um, yeah, then he did all these different lines for the Beavis and Buddy game. And uh, I think he brought his own mic. It was a really cool guy. And it was um, fun to hang out in a recording studio with Mike Judge 
for a little bit. When he did Cornholio, he he kind of walked behind the console or off to the side where you could see from the console looking through the window and uh, to get into character. So that was kind of funny when he did the Cornholio takes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those kind of things were interesting. Plus, of course, when we had to go to Viacom at the corporate headquarters here at 1515 Broadway, right in the heart of Times Square. Like yeah, East. right. Did you that know. a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, you know, just off Broadway, there's a bar called Jimmy's Corner. He was an ex-boxing trainer. I remember putting him in the credits in a Beavis and Buddy game. Spent a lot of time <laughs> there when we weren't at the office. And uh, Well, Viacom was was very good with the, uh, you know, the expense. You know, if, if we had to travel, then, you know, we all, mm-hmm. we, we got good, you know, fairly good hotels. You know, if, if any of these guys are listening, I want to just shout out to uh, – uh, Richard mm-hmm. Garriott, uh, I think, uh, he, cool. you know, he helped me a lot. Uh, Matt Grusin at Microprose and, uh, David, David Mullick at, uh, Cyber Dreams at the time. Uh, those were three guys that, uh, uh, looked up to and, and helped me a lot at the time. And I mm-hmm. guess, you know, they're, they're still, uh, they're still at it. So, yeah. you know, they're legends. So no, yeah, they guys. Are. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to reach out to them and see if I can get them on the show and talk. I can, I can put you them. in touch with them. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. We'll have to fantastic to have those people talk about their history and what their thoughts are about the industry now. And is there anything I uh, should have asked, but didn't, I cannot think of a single thing. I think we covered, <laughs> we covered it all. Okay. Where can people find you online, you know, with website, Twitter? Yeah, my, my website is RaymondBenson.com and my Twitter mm-hmm. handle is at Raymond Benson. And you'll find me if you if you just, you know, search for me on Facebook, you'll find both my personal page and my author page. Uh, there's a Wikipedia page up too, so you can find yeah. Raymond yeah, there stuff is. There. It's surprisingly accurate. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? I didn't do that. <laughs> uh Appreciate talking, Raymond. It's good to connect again. It's been a while since we've yeah. Come to well, I appreciate you asking me, John. Yeah. No. Okay. Excellent. And um, thank you, Raymond. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. If you found it interesting or helpful, please leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. I have a lot of great episodes coming out. As always, I want to hear from you, the game development community. So give me a call at 224-484-7733 or reach out on the website, gamedevadvice.com. I want to know your struggles, your questions, and your ideas. Since the podcast is really about you, the fellow game developer, and our game development community. Thanks and take care. Oh, just one more thing. In the future, I'll be interviewing freelance animator and artist Michael Antonicelli, who talks about traveling and working remote for clients, plus turns the tables and grills me with some questions. So subscribe now and don't miss out.